Thank you so much for coming out. And um, we're going to continue. In the beginning of January, we, we started looking at John 15, the vine and the branches. And um, you know, Jesus says, um, you know, it's, um, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, apart from me, you can do nothing. And um, that impacted me for, as a core scripture for this, this year, understanding that in Christ we can do all things. And so we've been on that journey, and we've looked at the gifts of the Spirit, and we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. And over the next while, I just want to begin to speak on the Holy Spirit. And um, as I've been preparing for this, um, I feel pretty overwhelmed because it's such an amazing subject. I really don't want to misrepresent the Holy Spirit. And I felt like I was standing on the side of an ocean while trying to do this and drink the whole ocean. It's just uh, impossible. And so this is just going to be a little glimpse of uh, today, a little preparation. And I'll tell you a few things we're going to look at. But before we move on to that, as I say, we've been speaking of fruit and the gifts. I want to remind you of this one thing, that spiritual Fruit is cultivated. It grows as it's connected to the vine. But spiritual gifts, the Bible says, are without repentance. They're a free gift and they're without repentance. In fact, in the New Living Translation, Romans eleven twenty nine, we read that God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. And this is very important to understand because we want to see more of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. But it's the fruit of the Spirit that identifies us. And because the gifts are without uh, repentance, in other words, when God gives you a gift, He never takes it away, the spiritual gift. Often the church is wowed by a person's gift and not by the fruit of the life. And we see that. And you need to understand that, that there are people, including myself, can, can move in incredible power, signs and wonders, the gifts of, and gifts of the Spirit, but not be producing good fruit. And it's very important because this is what Jesus, in fact, Jesus warns us uh, in Matthew 7 and then in Matthew 24, he talks in the end times about false prophets and false Christs there that will deceive many. But in Matthew seven fifteen, just as a laying a platform and to close that door, it's not that we to be afraid of the gifts. We need the gifts. We need the power of God. We need the anointing of God. But Jesus said this, watch out for false prophets. Now we know one of the gifts is the gift of prophecy. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are they of ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them, not by the gift. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Those are the kind of, those are the fruit of um, the Spirit, and you can read of them in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush? Or figs from a thistle. 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, by their life, you will know them. And one of the things that people that operate in the gifts, and that's why we need the body of Christ and we need to be accountable, is when people are unaccountable, that's when things can go wrong. And we get wild by the gift. And in fact, 20, Matthew 24 says, false prophets and false Christs will come that will perform many signs and wonders. And so that's just, sounds like a little sobering damper, but it's just to close that to say, Yes, we need the gifts. We need to be full of the fruit of the Spirit by abiding in the vine. But we need to be fruit inspectors and not gift inspectors. Amen? Good stuff? So we're going to start a new journey today. And we're going to look over the next few weeks and we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is today. I've got a nice wobbly uh, spot here. Uh, His role in relationship with God the Father and God the Son, this is over a period of time, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and finally, we're going to look at the difference between the indwelling Spirit of God when we, that we receive when we're born again and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about. So I want to tell you, Jesus said something about this. He said that to the Pharisees, The traditions of men nullify the Word of God. So we have to break traditions, and we have to see what the Word says. There are Pentecostal traditions. There are charismatic traditions. There are Baptist traditions. There are evangelical. There's Reformed traditions. And we have to look at those traditions, and then we have to come to the Word of God, and we have to say, what does the Word of God say on that particular aspect? And then we need to go to the Scripture as Bereans and search the Scripture for ourselves and see if it's true. Because if we don't really believe what we believe, when pressure comes, we default to what we really believe. I come from South Africa, and we uh, drive on the left-hand side of the road. So you live in South Africa, you're driving on the left-hand side of the road, you catch a plane, you come to Canada, you rent a car, and you've got to change sites. Beware of South Africans in motor cars, <laughs> Australians and so on. And so you got the, and I used to say, okay, I've got to make sure that I'm not looking at the white lights, but the red lights when I'm on the road. So you keep that and you say, I've got to keep right, keep right, keep right, keep right. And you do that. But when pressure comes, let's say somebody swerves in front of you, or you're in a car park and there's no lines and somebody comes, what happens is you default to what you know. You default to the left. And then you get all kinds of hand signals, and you carry on. (laughs) From kind Canadians. So any person from Africa, Australia, or wherever, should have a big sticker on the car, beware. You see, that's what we want to do, because... We need the power of the Holy Spirit. What is interesting 
is on the, in the day of Pentecost, and these are, sorry, Bernie's got all my notes there. I wanted her to put up. We'll get to some of them. But on the day of Pentecost, I was thinking of that while we were worship. 120 people, believers, they said the believers were together, so they were already born again, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Fire came down. Go and read it. And that 120 people, over the course of 30 or 40 years, turned the whole known world upside down. Why not Oceanside? Why not this vineyard? Amen? And you see, I want to look at our statement of faith. Let me give you some advice. If you are joining a church, for me, I've been around church a long time and led this amazing church for 20 years. The first thing that I want to know is not how good the worship is and how good the, the preacher preaches as much as what do they believe. And so on our website, you'll see a statement of faith. And when I go to, a, if I went to a new church, I could, you know, maybe not sort of agree with the style, but I want to agree with the theology. And so this is what we believe about God as a church. And we'll start looking at it over time. We believe in one God, eternally existing as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is God, co-equal, co-eternal, and co-powerful with God the Father and God the Son. That He is the third person of the Trinity, and as such, He is to be honored and adored and worshipped and revered as God. Amen? There's an amazing book by A.W. Tozer. His insight into the, the Godhead and his insight into the Holy of Holies is amazing. So he's got this book, The Pursuit of God, and some of this is from that. Um, but he's also got another book called Knowledge of the Holies. And I tell you, when you read Knowledge of the Holies, you actually imagine yourself being in the very Holy of Holies. But that came, if you read his life, it wasn't from an intellect. It was a lifestyle of prayer and worship. It was a lifestyle of spending time. He wrote those books out of the abundance of what in his, was in his heart. And this is what he says, some of the things. That only to an equal could God communicate the mystery of the Godhead. And to think of God as having an equal is to fall into intellectual absurdity. It's like an ant trying to work out how the universe is made. So we're like ants, the Bible says. Every man lives by faith, the non-believer as well as the saint. The one by faith in natural laws, and the other by faith in God. And every man throughout his entire life constantly accepts without understanding. Some persons who reject all they cannot explain have denied the Trinity, thereby subjecting the Most High to the cold intellectual scrutiny they have concluded that it is possible that he could be both one and three. These forget that their whole lives are enshrouded in mystery. 
They fail to consider that any real explanation of even the simplest phenomenon in nature lies hidden in obscurity and can no more be explained than the mystery of the Godhead. Every man lives by faith, the non-believer as well as the saint, the one by faith in natural laws and the one by faith in God. Every man throughout his entire life constantly accepts without understanding. Do you know in this room, if you had a receiver, a radio, a receiver, you would, and you tuned it in, you would know that there are thousands of sound waves uh, of television stations of radio coming right through this room. Right now, how many of you believe that? Yet we can't see it. How many of you ever see, I love surfing, I grew up surfing, but I've never seen a radio wave. (laughs) But when we tune in to the things of the Spirit, like we have to tune ourselves, and we do that by spending time in His presence. If our only connection with God is a Sunday morning, and I thank God that if that it is that you're coming, it is so shallow. But when we come to God and we begin to tune that receiver into the things of the Spirit, we start to begin, have dreams and visions and, and words from God that we would never know and that we don't believe because we've never experienced it. And because we haven't experienced it, we don't believe it. You see... In Scripture, we clearly see that the Holy Spirit is neither a force nor a power. And we'll see that this is a very quick overview of a huge subject. You see, if we limit the Holy Spirit to being a force or a power, then there's no consequence of disobeying the Holy Spirit. Then we can control it. But if we see him as a him, as God, all things change. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, as we said, the third person of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit is never, in Scripture, referred to as an it, but always as a he. Jesus himself, in John 16, he's preparing his disciples for his death. They're not quite sure what's going on. And from about John 13 to the crucifixion, he begins to speak of God, the Holy Spirit, that would, when he ascended, would descend upon the people in Acts chapter 2. And he says this. He's been talking around this table. This is in the upper room, 13 through to the Garden of Gethsemane, round about there, he's preparing his friends for his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, I have much more to say to you. He's been speaking to them for hours. More than you can bear. But when he, not when it, comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. 
You see, the Bible without the Holy Spirit is just a book of, revel- of information. It's a historical book. And in fact, of all the history books people uh, believe in and say that's true history, this is the most true of them all, even as a historical book. But when that information is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it becomes revelation. It changes. And you can see that when you read the Word of God, you can read, I, I'm the vine, you're the branches, uh, you know, remain in me and my words remain in you. If you abide in me, you can bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've read that over. But when I was praying for the beginning of this year, I felt that just jump off the page for us to understand that in our own strength and ability, we are not going to create or do much, not only in the city or in this nation in the world, but in Christ, we can do all things. And so it becomes revelation as you read by the power of the Spirit and begins to make sense. And he says, and, he says the, and we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 to 4, and Ananias sold a property. He said to Peter that he had given all the money. He kept some back. And I thank God that that doesn't, hasn't happened in our church. I mean, I read this with, with fear for my own life in a sense. Because he lies and Peter says to him, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land when you said you would give it all. Did it belong before it, to you before it was sold? Of course it did. And after the money, wasn't the money at your disposal like ours? Of course it is. But what made you think by doing such a thing? In other words, saying I've given all and I didn't. And he said, you have not lied to men. Remember, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. But you lied to God. And I won't read the rest. Go and read it for yourself. We also see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, one of some of the attributes, and there's too many to even number, but two of them is that He's omniscient and He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing, all-seeing, and present everywhere. And that's such a comfort to us because He's always with us. He never leaves us. He's always there for us. In other words, his presence permeates the entire universe, and no distance or darkness can hide or separate us from him. In Jeremiah twenty-three twenty-four, we read this. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so I cannot see them? declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. The all-powerful, all-known, all-seeing one that lives within us. We'll see as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this amazing psalm, Psalm 139, and we've heard it many times, but I just want to read it again. You're going to go through quite a bit of scripture today. These notes, are they coming up? As they come up, uh, these notes, um, we can get to you if you would like them. 
And he says this, David, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before the world is, a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, we cannot run away from God. Even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light in you. For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know that full well. What an amazing promise, church. God never leaves us or forsakes us. You're not an accident. You're not here by mistake. God made you. And he knew you. When you, even when you were conceived. In fact, before you were conceived, he knew you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And as Christians, we are temples and carriers of this amazing presence of God, the Holy Spirit, within us. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter, and I've just got a few verses, we see from the beginning of the Word of God, the triune God in action in, in the work of creation. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. That's God the Father. Genesis 1.2. Now the earth was formless, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about the Spirit of God hovering like a dove. And when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes not as a dove, but like a dove. And anoints and hovers over Jesus. And he does that for us too. And we see Jesus God, the Son in Genesis 3. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. You see, John tells us, in John 1, you don't read the chapter, but I'll just read a little bit. It starts an introduction, an introduction about Jesus Christ as he pens this gospel. And he writes this, In the beginning was the Word. Remember God spoke in Genesis? And the Word was 
God, and the Word was with God. In John 1.14, and read in between. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. When did the Word become flesh? When Jesus Christ was born. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then we read this about this Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 1 should just fill us with awe. It's something that I can never read enough. As the writer Paul, through revelation from the third heaven, is writing this letter. And he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's Jesus Christ. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And God spoke, and all things were created. Jesus, the living, powerful word. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You can never hold your life together completely. I don't care how sufficient we are in our own finances or anything else outside of Jesus Christ. You see, you see the key to us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at that because we've got to look at who Jesus was when he was on earth. And we see that Jesus was both fully God, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and also fully man. He was, con- he was born of a virgin. Mary, and that as a man whilst on earth, he relied totally on the Holy Spirit for his ministry. We see the, the, the miracles he did, the signs, wonders, the power, and we say, well, that's Jesus. He was God. But we're going to read what Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 about the incarnation, the fact that God was fully God and fully man. It's amazing. Paul says this from 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Who being in the very nature God, Jesus, the man, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now if you go to Bible school and you study this, this could be a five-year program. And you're still ankle deep. So I'm praying that you will take this and you will meditate on that. This truth will become truth to you and that you will seek because if you seek, you will find if you seek with all your heart. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, uh, that's from the NRV. I want you... I put in a few scriptures here from the Amplified Version. Now listen to what the Amplified says. Who, although for the same verse, he existed in the unchanging essence 
existed in the unchanging form and essence of God as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes of his deity. You're going to have to read through this and study it yourself to get the fullness of it. But he says he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. And then it says, as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. Rather, back to the NIV, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, servant and being made in human likeness. Amplified, verse 7. But he emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, he chose to empty himself. He chose to put that aside while he walked on earth. Although he was fully God, he chose to empty himself about that. Nobody made him do it. He did it for us. And he said, by assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man. And this is what the Amplified says. He became completely human, but was without sin, being both fully God and fully man. Amazing. I can see some brain cells popping as I speak this even in my own head. Because outside of revelation, how can we even grasp this? And then verse 8, he says, And being found in the appearance of a man... He humbled himself and became nothing and becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He set aside his divinity so that he could walk as a man and save humanity. God came down. Subject himself, imagine the creator of the universe, subject himself to nine months in a womb womb of a woman. Amazing. Amazing. And as a result, as a man, he waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him because he wanted to be an example about us. And he's, going to, he's saying, you have no excuse for not walking in the authority and power that I have for you. You see, it was not until the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus while being baptized in the river Jordan that his ministry began. For 30 years, he waited for that day when he would be endued with power from on high. And then his ministry began as an example for us. He was always God, but he walked as a man, fully God, fully man. The Gospel of Luke tells us that after being baptized, The Holy Spirit came 
upon Jesus. There's four steps here. I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. And we read that in Luke 23, 21 to 23. This will be online. And and please go through it. And really grasp what I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to us today. And while the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him or upon him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus, it says here, was himself about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. Then in Luke chapter 4, if you read this Luke 3, 4, 4 together, we see he comes out, he's baptized, and he's walking away from the Jordan now. And this is what it says, that Jesus, that Jesus now, full of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit came upon him, Holy Spirit, then he began to be led by the Spirit. He began to keep in step with the Spirit that Galatians says, keep in step. He began to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide him uh, as he walked. And the Holy Spirit didn't lead him into a place of prosperity and into a nice hotel or palace. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, into the desert. Now that breaks some prosperity gospel kind of stuff. And you know, the thing about desert times in our lives, the thing about dry times, the things about trials and tribulations, it's an opportunity where God actually gets our attention more than what he does when we've got it all going for us. And it's not God's heart that he wants us to go through those things, but he knows that when we get all the stuff, and we got all the stuff and it's cool and we can do our own thing, God isn't put in the background. But heaven help you if you get sick terminally tomorrow. And please, I'm not saying, my my wife has had two transplants. I'm telling you, you get close to God like never before. And some of the sweetest times we will have. Don't, if you're going through trials, we heard God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. God is leading you. God is empowering you as you go through that. And if you seek him and you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will come through. And no matter what the outcome is, we who believe in him win. We never lose. Our life is, if you go and see a tombstone, and those old ones, I like you know, reading their story, you'll see a birth date, and a death date on everyone and a little story. And in between, there's a little dash that big. That's your life. And God will ask you, what did you do with your dash? What did you do with that dash? It could be 150 years old. It's still a little dash in the context of eternity. What are we doing? He has empowered us. He's filled us. 
He's anointed us. He's baptized us. All in him. And they said, now go and do what I did. But I can't. Well, that's the point. If you could, I wouldn't have had to come and die for you. If you could save yourself, and you do it all yourself, then I wouldn't have needed to come. You saved me all that pain that I went through. But the point is, when we understand this, and we know that the glory and the power comes from Him, He will get the glory. You know people who understand that? When the apostles, when they did miracles, it's not us, it's Jesus. No, no, don't run after us. Well, I healed this for a while, you know. Yeah, actually, come to my healing ministry now. Send me bucks. Put your head on the TV, and I'll lay my hands on it, and you'll be healed. I'm sorry. I'm glad. I don't want to mock. But when we truly understand the incomparably great power that has been invested in us who believe, we can only glorify Him. And we will lay down our lives. Young people, this church needs a powerful church for the future of this nation. It needs people that will stand up in power and authority in the name of Jesus. Old and young, that will stand for truth, righteousness, and justice regardless of the consequence or circumstance. Our brothers and sisters in China, in Asia, in Africa are doing that right now. And we need to arise in power and authority. The enemy is not afraid of a powerless church. We can meet as much as we want. And sing as much as we want. But without the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to go and do what God's called us to do, He can just chillax. Which is chill out and relax. <laughs> and after 40, spending 40 days in the wilderness, He comes out of that in the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit came upon him, Holy Spirit filled him, the Holy Spirit led him, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what does the first thing he do after 30 years of waiting for this? He goes to his home church in Nazareth, called a synagogue. And he opens, he's given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he opens it. Now the scroll didn't have pages and chapters, it was just one of those things. Had to read through. Yeah, you know where something was to find it in the scroll. And he seeks out this passage purposefully as a fulfillment of Isaiah 61. And he says this The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, first of all, to proclaim the good news. To the poor, poor in spirit, physically poor, emotionally poor, that there's an answer that we have for the issues. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners from demonic oppression, from, from depression, any kind of oppression, any addiction. He is the answer. And of recovery of sight to the blind, physical blindness. And spiritual blindness. And to set the press free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of jubilee. That it's all been forgiven. 
If you come to me, you confess your sin, your sin is forgiven, and you are set free. And he said after that, today this word is being fulfilled in your midst. Didn't have that there. But that freaked them out. Because they knew that what he was saying is that he was God at that very moment. You see, it was the anointing that empowered Jesus and enabled him to perform signs, wonders, and miracles whilst on earth. Jesus, who chose to lay down his divinity and take on humanity. And he promised us that we who believe in him would receive the same Holy Spirit. And we could walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would do even greater things than him. He said that. Greater. You see the things I'm doing? You will do in greater things. Do we believe that? Are we an unbelieving, believing church? Are we believers full of unbelief? Or are we believers who believe? If God said it, we'll do it. I don't have to work it out. My theology might not, my tradition, all of that might not even line up. But God said it, and I'll walk in it. I'm telling you a, a, a true story. We had on our apostolic team, and which part of our new covenant, and God blesses Deborah and I to be minister, not only here, but in other parts. Although, and the equip is part of that. But we had a man in, uh, on our team, and his name was Gogol. And he was, he was the apostolic oversight for what happened in Malawi. Now, you need to know that um, David Livingstone, 300 years before, had gone to Malawi to preach the gospel in that part of the area, and nobody, not one person got saved. If there was one or two, I can't remember exactly. In fact, he loved the area uh, on Lake Malawi so much that he, he, he started a village and he named it Blantyre, which is where he was born in the United Kingdom. He saw very little fruit. But now Malawi is over 50 to 60% Christian. And this guy, Gogo, got saved. And he would preach the gospel in the villages. And he would get to a river. And there would be a village. And he couldn't get there. And he would keep walking. And he would walk right across that water. In Jesus' name. How much of the gospel did he have to preach after that? Just say, believe and be saved. Yeah, gee. You see, Jesus' will be signs and wonders. A sign that Jesus Christ is true, a miracle, and a wonder when we wonder how the heck that happened. (laughs) I wonder, man, that's not in my textbook. No, but it's in God's. And so Jesus, in John seven thirty seven, the great feast, he says this in a loud voice. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Early on, 
in the Beatitudes in Matthew, it said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones that will be full. How thirsty are we? You see, the water's there. Well, ah, I'm full. I don't need a drink. Anyone who's thirsty. You ever believe in me as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow through them. We go and drink in, he fills us, and it flows out. It's as simple as that. You see, church, Jesus set an example as a man for us to follow. And this was the example of absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit for everything. He relied totally on the Holy Spirit for the power and the anointing to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, everything Jesus did was in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, this is for me, even while I was preparing this, how thirsty am I? Have the things of the world got so important to me, more stuff, more this, more that? How thirsty are we to be filled of the Holy Spirit? You see, God wants a daily relationship. We, we get dry in the day. Stuff happens and we, we sin and we do all that stuff. And God says, just come and drink. Come into my presence. Spend time with me. Maybe give me five minutes today before you start your day. And let's go from there. How thirsty are we? Because the thirsty ones will be full. How much do I, Oceanside, and we depend on our own strength, intellect, and ability in our personal lives and in the church? I love the fact that we've got amazing worship. I love the fact we've got amazing people. But without the Holy Spirit, it's just a gathering. Without the presence of God in us, without us coming full so that we are ministering out of the overflow. Now we go through seasons when we are all dry and we come here and we should be able to be replenished. But when we're all dry and the poor worship leaving, and we're just sucking everything out of them. They get up, they're exhausted. We come full because we've been drinking. We've been in his presence. We're not trying to work out what the government should do or what we should do in our own strength. We say, God, you've got a plan. God's plan for this nation is simple. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, Seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. Four things. If we did that, we changed the spiritual atmosphere of a nation. 120 people changed the spiritual atmosphere of the whole known world. It spread from there. But it takes us. Oh, this leader or that leader of this one, who should we vote for? I have no idea. But I do know this, that the key for the kingdom and the key for this nation does not lie in man. It lies in God. And we hold those keys. If you want this nation to prosper, we want revival to break out. It's not going to be this law. We want conviction to come so that when people are making laws that are ungodly, the fear of God comes upon them. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we didn't think this through. Instead of, ah, oh, look what they're doing again. Well, what are we doing about it? Four things. Let's begin praying. Let's get revival going in this nation. Let's start in this little gymnasium in the backside of nowhere on a road called Jingle Pot. Everybody would laugh about that one. What good could come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, Nanaimo, sounds right, eh? <laughs> what good, much good, if we will humble ourselves, we'll begin to ring, if we'll start being believing believers again and pray, we can change a nation. We can change a city. But if we think it's another Love Your City event, and we think it's another this and that, and that's we've done our evangelistic thing and let's move on, Forget it. I'm not saying we don't do those. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, coming to that park that is still open to us by a miracle to preach the gospel for 20 years downtown. For 20 years with the blessing of the council that believes in everything else. But it hasn't closed the door for us. Full of the power. Prayed up. Not have we got another this? Have we got another game? Have we got another bang? Yes, we need those. Those attract crowds, but full of the power. People coming to that park, and it feels like they're standing on holy ground. People coming to this place, and we don't have to preach. We don't have to sing. We don't have everything. They're instantly set free because of the power and the anointing that is in this place. That we come here full. That we come here and we're saying, God, who's sitting next to me? Who's sitting behind me? Who That I can speak to and minister. Who needs a hug? Who needs a prayer? Who needs a meal? Who needs a cup of coffee? In your name, Lord God. I'm coming prepared. I'm coming here, yes, to receive, but I'm coming here prepared because I want to see you move. And church, let's be disappointed when he doesn't and keep seeking and keep finding and let the table of the water of the Holy Spirit begin to rise in this place. This is our vineyard. This vineyard. Let's stop looking at the vineyard of the church down the road and the others. Yes, yeah, some are doing better and some are doing worse and so on. And, and we may be part of both of those things. This vineyard must produce fruit and this is what God has given us responsibility over. If this is your church, we need to go into that university not with a Starbucks card and giving them out saying, Jesus loves you. Do that. But in the power of God, in the power of God, 
walking the streets. Peter's shadow walking over people and they were healed. Healed just by his shadow. Paul praying on, on pieces of cloth. The, the presence of God was such on that that they'd take it home, put it on dead people, sick people, and they would be instantly healed. Men who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. If anyone is thirsty, church, let him come to me, Jesus said, and drink. Let's trust God for more. I love you. I love you, this church. I can't tell you how much I love you and how, how proud I am of, in a, in a humble way, <laughs> to be able to lead you, this group. But I want more. I want more. I long for the day when we come in and the presence of God is so manifest in this place that we can scarcely breathe, let alone preach or anything. We just got you. Where does God live? In us. If God is that little in our lives and everything else is that big, family, jobs, everything, well, that's what we get. But when we come to God and we just humble ourselves, and you know the best thing is honesty. God, I don't feel like this. I, I feel hopeless. I feel overwhelmed. He says, come. Come and drink. I'll refresh you. Come. That's all. Is there anyone who's thirsty? Let him come to me. And I'd love us to finish on that song, Holy Spirit Break In, or if we can. I would like to pray. Guys, no more same, no more same old for me. As I've been studying this, this is, I'm just thanking God. We have so much. I have so much. Materialistically, friendshiply, so much that God wants to give me, yet we use so little. Can that change in our hearts, church? Can I encourage you? To open your hearts to a deeper level of a walk with God. How many of you are prepared to at least try that? Thank you, a few. And I know there's still a minute. We could change the world. When people ask, how we manage, how, how it happened, we'll say, we can only say him. It wasn't us. A university 
I think of it. I love Asia. I thought Deborah and I were going to plant a church in Southeast Asia. I was so committed. I love Asia. I love Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Laos, those areas. I've worked in them, um, walked in those villages, prayed in those villages. And when I was called to plant a church, I thought it would be if God brought us here, and I thank God for that. I love Canada and so on. Uh, but we used to have to go to the nations to be missionaries. But the nations are coming to us. We don't even have to get out of bed and buy a plane ticket. We have Africans, Asians, Zimbabweans. I'm a Zimbabwean by birth and all over the world. We have a university of 10,000 people, about 70, 60% are from other nations. They're here for three or four years. If we, if they see the power of God and the love of God working in a way and their lives are changed, we send them back as missionaries to their families and so on. We don't have to get on a plane and if God calls you to do it, do it. But here in our workplaces, Nations are coming in. In the coffee shop, nations are coming in. Canadians, too. We need, we need the gospel. But it's right here. This is what we're responsible for. And out of that, the nations. And out of that, everything else will flow. But let's start here because I remember an old man. I wanted to go. To, he said, well, if you're not doing it at that stage in South Africa, what makes you think you're going to do it there? Well, that wasn't the answer I wanted. But think about it, church. Let's trust God. Smith Wigglesworth, you. I'm rambling a little bit here. I've got one minute. I've read his and John G. Lake, who's a Canadian. Go and, go and Google John G. Lake. Born in Toronto. See what he did under the power of the Holy Spirit in South Africa. A major revival broke through through his ministry. But Smith Wigglesworth, in his life, raised over 20 to 30 people from the dead. He was an illiterate plumber. You didn't have to go to school. Filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to believe the Word of God. And they asked him, Smith, what's the secret of your power? And he says, because there will be multitudes of sick people. He says, when I look at the person, I have no faith. But when I lift my eyes to Jesus, I have all the faith in the world. So I pray up and not down. He said, if you want to learn how to heal people, Start in a mortuary. He's a rough guy. Listen. He says, go and pray for the dead. They won't complain if they're not raised from the dead. But he raised over 20 to 30 people from the dead. Just believed. Jesus said of the widow, the persistent widow, she was persistent, she was persistent, and breakthrough came. 
She carried on praying, even though she wasn't getting the answer. And he commends her, but he ends that in the Gospel of Luke, that little story with, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Will we, in other words, he's saying, will we have become unbelieving believers? Oh, that was for the early church. That was for that dispensation. That was for this. I've never seen any line they say, okay, from this book on or there, I'm not going to do any more miracles. I'm not going to raise the dead. I'm not going to uh, release the Holy Spirit. I never see it. But we justify our unbelief by our theology because it's comfortable. Instead of saying, God, I see in the Word, you said greater things than these. You said, I'd lay my hands on this. You said, I'm not doing God. I want to press in until I see that. Not, I oh, know, that was for the early church. Other Baptists are early church. The apostles, early church. Well, if we're going to put all of them in the early church, why don't we just put Jesus in the early church? It's interesting how that we will never say about the book of Isaiah, especially 53 and 54, that that was just for the early church. And they said that's 600 years before Christ. No, that's Old Testament. We don't have to. We believe that. But then we will say the book of Acts was for the early church. It doesn't make sense. Either this is all true, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and His Word never changes, and we're not to add or subtract from it, even if we don't understand it, or it's not true. And then we might as well be on the beach today or in the sunshine. We cannot have it both ways, church. God is wanting to raise up a radical generation that will walk. And generation, I'm not talking about younger, a generation that lives in this time that will go and pound authority. That will walk over rivers if there's no bridges. We had Purin here from, and Rebecca from a church that relates to us in Kathmandu after the earthquake. They lead there. We have visit churches in, in, in Nepal that through Russ and Glenn and them relate indirectly to us and in northern India. And one of the questions we had with Purin is so in a Buddhist country like that or a Hindu country with a population that is almost hostile to Christianity, how do you get people saved and how do you plant churches? Because they planted 10, at least 10. He says it's easy. You go to a village, you find the sickest person, you pray for them, they get healed, and everybody comes to listen. We've got our pens. You mean, Purim, you actually believe this? You actually walk in it? That's all we do. What those nations what many people want to know is who's got the most power. They are not afraid of a powerless church. 
And when you go into those villages, and I've been there, and I've seen miracles like you can't believe. And there's a shaman or there's a witch doctor or medicine man that is controlling the area. And you go in, and somebody is healed out from deformity or, or from the dead or raised from the dead. That whole area is uh, focused, transfers from that to that. They want to know who's got the most power. They want to know. And why shouldn't they? So, Father God, I just pray as we continue this journey that you continue to stir our hearts, Lord. To go deeper with you, Lord. It's not more of us. It's not more of our ability. It's not more of our stuff. It's less of us and more of you. I pray that, Lord, that our hunger and thirst will stir in our hearts to go deeper. In the precious name of Jesus.